Francis Chan wrote in his book, Crazy Love, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Now that quote is worth pondering as we are about to begin a new chapter in the life of our church here in West Lafayette Bible Fellowship Church. Many of us throughout our lives have undoubtedly set goals for ourselves consisting of various things like how many miles we want to run or how many pounds we want to lose or how many books that we want to read in a new year. And those things can be good. It's good to set goals. It's good to stretch ourselves. But did you know that God has a goal for your life? And he has one goal for us that is more important than any other goal. In fact, it should be our life goal. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, the Apostle Paul said, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, many people quote Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him. And that's absolutely true. But when we quote that verse, we often seem to intimate that he is working all things together for some nebulous, generic good, which we may not really understand. But we need to read the rest of the story. You see, the next verse, chapter, 20, chapter 8 of Romans and verse 29, God tells us just what the good is that he is working all things together for in our lives. And it is not some mysterious, unknown good, but he is working all things together for this one specific purpose, that we might be conformed to the image of his Son. That is, God is working everything together to conform us to his image, to make us like Jesus Christ. So that is God's goal for your life. You can have every confidence based upon that scripture. That is his goal for your life, is for you to become more like Jesus Christ. Now, when we say that God wants to make us more like Jesus, we need to be sure that we understand what is meant by that. That God wants to make us more like Jesus does not mean that he wants us to grow long beards and to go round in sandals and long robes. He's not talking about us becoming physically like Jesus, but in our character. He wants us to be like Jesus in the character qualities that we demonstrate in our lives. Well, where do we go in scriptures to find this character? You'd think if this was really important, if it was really God's goal for everyone, for us to follow, every one of us followers, you'd think that God would have put it somewhere very prominent in his word. 
and he has. You would expect that if God put something in the first words of the first sermon of Jesus, in the first book of the New Testament, that those words would be incredibly important. And you would be right. You see, what God put there in the first words of the first sermon of Jesus, in the first book of the New Testament, are incredibly vital words. They give us the character of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven that God wants us all to have. And more than that, they actually portray for us the character of the person of Jesus Christ himself. And I want us to begin to look today by way of introduction at the book of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 to 12 at the passage of Scripture often called the Beatitude. These verses are called the Beatitudes because each of the verses in this section begins with the word blessed. And Beatitude means blessedness. But we need to understand that these are not merely eight different qualities of people who happen to be blessed, but together they form for us one of the most important sections of Scripture in all of the Word of God, for they picture for us the very character of Jesus Christ and the eight character qualities that it, it, that it is God's goal to build into every one of our lives. So by way of introduction, we are going to look at these verses in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 3 to 12. And the first thing that I want to talk about is their nature, the character qualities, not just action. Character qualities, not just action. One of the things we need to see about the qualities that they are found here is that they are not outward action, but they are inward character qualities. Now much has been made of the symbolism of Jesus going to the mountaintop, and in verse 1 of chapter 5 of Matthew, and seeing the multitude, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Now that's why we call this the Sermon on the Mount. He preached it on a mountain. There was another great character in the Bible history who went up on a mountain, and his name was Moses. Moses was the great figure in the Old Testament, and he went up on Mount Sinai, and God gave him the Ten Commandments, the basis of the law of the Old Testament. Now, many of those commands were, at least on the surface, outward, external acts of obedience. Don't worship other gods. Don't make images. Obey your parents. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. You see, they were primarily a list of things to do or not to do. But now Jesus comes in the New Testament, and he climbs another mountain, and he gives us another revelation from God 
And while he himself says later in this sermon, I did not come to destroy the law, speaking of the Old Testament law that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, I did not come to destroy the law, but rather to fulfill it. And what he gives us here is more than a law with commands of outward deeds and acts of obedience. But notice the spiritual nature of the qualities that we see here in this Sermon on the Mount. For example, the first one is poor in spirit. So right off of the bat, Jesus is commending not just an outward act, but an inward spiritual quality. We'll talk about what being poor in spirit means next week. But it is an inward spiritual quality which is vital for every believer. The second one that we see is mourning. Again, that is an inward quality. It may express itself in some outward ways, but it's something that comes from our very heart, deep inside of us. And so it is with each of these qualities until you come to persecuted, which is the response of the world to the person who has these inner qualities in their life. So what Jesus gives us here is not a law. It is not a weekly assignment list of activities that we can check off. Yes, I got that one. Okay, I got that one. These are heart qualities that God wants to build into each of our lives. God's purpose for you is not that you keep up a list of legalistic activities. His goal for you are spiritual of the heart. God said in Jeremiah, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. We need to realize that what God is doing in, in our life can't always be measured objectively on a piece of paper or turned in on a report form. It is not the number of chapters that you have read or the number of visits that you've made or the amount of money that you give. God is not looking for numbers from you. He is looking at your heart. And that is what these eight qualities in the Beatitude address. They, not merely, they are not merely external activities. They are spiritual, internal of the heart. Now, if we were to write out some goals for our church, as we, as we start our next chapter in our church history, what would we write down? Would we write down to be kind and gentle to one another, to be loving and understanding with people in our community? Or would we write down that we would have an attendance goal of 50? Or, or some other numerical goal? But let me ask you, what is it more important? A numerical goal or a character goal. See, God's most important goal for our church is not that we reach 50 in attendance. Now, let me just say that there's nothing wrong about praying to reach 50 in attendance. 
But that's not God's most important goal for us. God's most important goal for our church does not have anything to do with numbers. It has everything to do with our heart. He wants your character and my character to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And the description of that character is found for us right here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 down through verse 10. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then let's look at the next two verses also. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kind of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, here we want to talk about the composition the, or, or the, I guess, really the composite. Now, a lot of people, when they approach the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 3 or chapter 5, verses 3 to 12, do it assuming that these are just a list of eight different qualities that God says that he will bless and that they don't necessarily have anything to do with each other. You see, to them, it is just like God has almost randomly singled out these qualities and said, I will bless the one who is poor in spirit over here, and I will bless the mourner that's over here, and I will bless the, the, the meek one that's over here, and on and on, as if they are just eight qualities of eight different people that God blesses. But that is to miss the real point of these qualities. God does not bless the bearer of these qualities, but they are more related than that. They are not just eight independent qualities of which you might pick one and say, I'll be that kind of person. These all relate to each other. One naturally flows into the next, as we shall see over the next several weeks. And more than that, when you take these together, they form a picture of the ideal citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Notice that the kingdom of heaven is prominent in these qualities. These eight begin and end with theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see that there in, in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then down in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom 
of heaven. Jesus is saying this is what the idea citizen of the kingdom of heaven is like. Here's the goal. This is what you should be shooting for. This is what I want you to look like. This is what I am going to cause everything to work together in your life to make you like. But when you examine these qualities, you find that not only are they the composite picture of the ideal citizen of the kingdom in theory, they also form a picture of the ideal citizen of the kingdom himself, Jesus Christ. A number of years ago, if you were to climb up a certain mountain in south central Oklahoma, you might, as you were climbing, have stumbled upon a good-sized rock. If you looked down, you would have seen that there was another rock by it and another one by that one, although you couldn't really make out what they were there for. But if you were a couple of miles away driving north on Interstate 35, which ran by those mountains, you could see what each of those individual rocks were there for. They were not there by accident. Someone put them there and arranged them in a certain order. And from a distance, you could see that together they formed several letters. J-E-S-U-S. Jesus. These were not just a bunch of assorted rocks that happened to be there. They were all placed there by a purposeful hand and spelled out the name Jesus. Now, in much the same way, when you study the qualities of Matthew chapter 5, you begin to see that these are not just eight separate character qualities that have nothing to do with one another. They are like puzzle pieces that fit together and form a picture of the character of Jesus Christ himself. In his book on the Beatitudes in 1955 called The Secret of Happiness, Billy Graham wrote, Jesus Christ is the perfect man of the Beatitudes. The character qualities we find described here are the character qualities of Jesus himself. As we study these qualities over the next several weeks, you will see how Jesus exemplifies every single one of these qualities. He was poor in spirit, totally dependent upon God the Father. He mourned over sin. He was totally meek, that is, submissive to his Father's will. He hungered and thirsted for righteousness, even more than his daily food. He was merciful. He saw needs. He felt compassion and he did something about it. He was pure in heart, tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. And he was the ultimate peacemaker who brought man and God together through his death on the cross of Calvary. 
and he was persecuted only because of his righteousness. And the eight qualities we find here in the Beatitudes are the character of Jesus Christ. God has, with eight master brushstrokes, painted for us a perfect portrait of the character of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know what Jesus looked like physically, and it's probably good that we don't, so that we don't make an idol out of the picture. But we do know what Jesus looked like in his character. We see it throughout the gospel, and it is summarized for us here in the Beatitudes. These are not just eight isolated, random character qualities. Together, they form a composite picture of the character that God wants to build into our lives, the character of Jesus. Jesus is the perfect man. And as we have seen, God's goal for you and for me is for us to become like Jesus. As Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, that God is working all things together that we might become conformed to the image of his Son. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 13, says our goal is to attain to a mature man to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The composite picture we find in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 12, is a portrait of the character qualities of Jesus Christ, which is God's most important goal to build into every one of us as we serve together at Bible Fellowship Church right here in West Lafayette, Ohio. The third thing that I want to talk about this morning is their measure of real success. Because these qualities portray God's goal for our lives, they become for us our ultimate measure of success. And one of the problems that many of us have today, perhaps most of us, is that we are shooting for the wrong, we are shooting for the wrong targets of success. One of the the human drama stories that came out of the 2004 Olympics was the American sharpshooter who just dominated the 50-meter rifle competition. With one shot to go, he had a huge lead. And so he lined up his final shot, he took aim, he squeezed the trigger, and hit the bullseye on the wrong target. It was a great shot. But since he hit the wrong target, he plunged from first place in the competition to eighth and totally out of the medal round. It was so ironic. He hit what he was aiming at, but he was aiming at the wrong target. That's such a sad story to me. But what a, what a metaphor for what so many people are in fact doing in their lives. So many of us are going to get to the end of our lives and realize that we've been shooting at the wrong target. We're going to realize when it's too late. 
that life wasn't about how much money you can get. Life wasn't about who had the most toys. Life wasn't about how many people like you on Facebook or how high you can climb on the ladder of your organization. God's goal for our life is becoming conformed to the image of his dear son, Jesus Christ. And sadly, many of us, even in the church, are missing the target. We are aiming for the wrong goals and measuring ourselves by the wrong standards of success. Sometimes people in the church will try to pull rank on others based on how many years they have attended. I've been a member of this church for 47 years and so on and so forth. Listen, your rank in God's kingdom doesn't have anything to do with how many years you have sat in a church pew. Your rank in God's eyes depend on how much like Jesus Christ you are. Are you humble? Do you mourn over sin? Do you submit to God's will? Are you hungry for righteousness? That is God's measure of your status in the kingdom. Do you look like the picture of Jesus we find in these words? People in many churches point to what is called the Baptist bees as the measure of our success in church. The number of baptisms and buildings and budgets and bottoms if you will, in the pews. But we, real, we need to realize that in the end, we are not going to be judged as a church by the Baptist bees, but by the bee attitudes. How much have we in the church become like Jesus in our character? That's why we are beginning this study today and we'll continue it over the next eight or nine weeks. We need to know what God's goal for our life is so that we can start shooting the right target. So let's read these words. Let's study them together. And I hope we'll make it a priority to memorize them so we will have them in our hearts and our minds all year as God builds them into our life and measure our ultimate success as a church by how like them we become because that is how God is measuring the success of our church and our individual life. Now many of us need to see our lives in light of these qualities and what God is trying to do to build them into us. Some of what we think are defeats in our lives are actually victories. When you understand what God is really trying to accomplish in your life, some of what we think are the worst times in our life are actually the best because God is using those times to bring us closer to his ultimate goal for our life, to make us more like Jesus Christ. What we need to see is how God measures success. 
God doesn't measure success by how much money we have or how big our church is or how popular we are or how nice our house or our car is. He measures our real success by how much like Jesus we are becoming. And he will gladly sacrifice any of those other things to work the character of Christ into our life. There may have been episodes in your life that have looked to you and others like great defeats. Or maybe you are even in a time like that right now. But from God's perspective, it's not a defeat. Just because you lost money or lost a job or became unpopular or suffered physically or whatever, these things to us look like defeats and the worst things that could ever happen to us. But God is not counting those things. He is looking at the character he is building in our lives. And from his perspective, If you have become more dependent upon him as a result of that situation that was not a defeat, but a victory. If you have become more humble as a result of being in that situation, it wasn't a defeat, it was a victory. If you have learned to mourn your sin, it wasn't a defeat, it was a victory, and so on and so on. Because God doesn't measure victories and success the way we do. He measures our real success on how much our character is becoming like Jesus Christ. What's important for us today is that we understand what God is doing. It will help you greatly as you go through these things in life to know what God's goal for you is so that you can work together with him in what he's trying to do in you. Our worldly nature is just to want to get out of certain trials we face. But God says, my goal is not just for you to get out of that situation, but for you to get something out of that situation. To have one or more of these character qualities of Christ built into your life as a result of what you are going through. So make no mistake. God's goal for your life and for our church may not be what we were thinking. His goal for us is not just what it is not just that we just have a smooth and easily life with a lot of people that that other people call success. His goal for us is to become conformed to the character of Jesus Christ. And if that's so, then we better know what that character is so that we can pray and work together with him for his purpose in our lives. So next Sunday, we are going to start with number one, the most foundational quality of the Christian discipline found in Matthew chapter five and verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful today for the opportunity that we have to be able to take your word and study it and to learn more about how to become conformed to the image of your Son. I pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts. And throughout this coming week, 
that we would work on becoming more like Jesus in everything we do. In Christ's precious name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to meeting with you again next Lord's Day. So this is Pastor Jim Evans from Bible Fellowship Church in West Lafayette, Ohio, saying may God richly bless you in this coming week.